0: Welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. Today my guest is Charlene Habermeyer, the author of the book, Good Music, Brighter Children, simple and practical ideas to help transform your child's life through the power of music. Did you know that music has the power to increase your child's intelligence? Scientific studies at some of the most respected universities in the world indicate that children introduced to classical music at a young age read earlier, and perform better on achievement tests. Charlene is here to give us a simple step-by-step roadmap that any parent can follow, and you will discover how introducing your children to good music can accelerate language development, improve math and science skills, enhance physical coordination, and strengthen music memory, reading retention, and benefit children with learning disabilities and more. Welcome, Charlene. I am so excited that you're here to talk about one of my passions, and that is music. Tell me about your book, Good Music, Brighter Children. What prompted you to write this book?
1: Well, it basically started in January of 1979. It started out as a hobby. I wanted to learn about music research. I wanted to find out how it affected the brain. My motivation was I am passionate about learning how children learn. What is the process a child goes through to learn? And so I started gathering information. And Carolyn, you'll understand this. When back in the day, when you went to the library, and there was no internet, there were no computers. And so we used microfiche. I would go on different journals and I would start downloading information. Anything related to music and the brain, how kids learn through music, different ways and means. That was uh, when I first came uh, in touch with Georgie Lazanoff and he actually is a Bulgarian uh, psychologist. And a lot of uh, people, when you read about their studies, they don't have a degree in music. They have a degree in something else. Sometimes it's economics or psychology or whatever. but it, it's a variety of uh, different uh, majors, but they they came to music because music is so powerful in how it develops the brain. So it started out just as a hobby. I just started gathering, gathering, gathering. Uh, Then I went and I found different music organizations that I joined so that I could go to their conferences and learn more about how it affects the brain. And that's how it all started. And it was good that I started in 1979 because I had a son born in 1982 that had a very botched birth and they, it, they caused brain damage. And so I took all the research that I had gathered and I started using it for him. That's how the whole thing started. And then in 1996 of October, 1996, I had been going to bookstores and libraries, trying to find a book that was just centered on how music affects the brain and there wasn't anything. So that's what launched me into uh, writing my book. It took three full months eight to 10 hours a day, just taking all the research that I had gathered, organizing it, and putting it, by that time there were computers, and I was organizing it to put it on the computer to map out how I was going to write my book and so forth. So that's kind of in a nutshell how it all happened. In your introduction, you talk about how music is
0: mathematical. That in 1772, Johann Bode, a German astronomer, measured the distance between the planets. His mathematical formula was so precise that it later became as Bode's law. He stated that all of the planets possessed mean orbital distances from Mercury that became progressively greater by the ratio of two to one as the planet's distance from the sun increases. And that ratio of two to one means that each planet vibrates twice as fast as its predecessor vibrates and produces a sound with the pitch one octave higher than the previous planet. This ratio is the same as that of the musical tones in an octave, suggesting that the planets themselves form a chain of octaves with each planet representing one octave. Within this octave, the planets, as they spin on their axis, have an actual tone created by their pitch frequencies. That is amazing.
1: Yes. In fact, just having you read that, it kind of makes me feel emotional to realize that music is so important and so profound that we find it in the universe in, in the planets. We find it also in the human body because every one of our organs vibrates at a frequency. These are pitches that are too high or either too low. Our Earth, I think I put in the book that it vibrates at 20 decibels below the lowest sound that the human ear can hear. That they've been able to measure the sound of the, uh, what our earth makes. Uh, I think in the Chilean earthquake years ago that they were able to measure the sound of our earth. So I think it's the most powerful thing that, that we have on the earth. And so many people are affected by music in so many, many different ways. Another thing that I love about music is when a child learns a musical instrument or even listens to music, certain pieces of music, It exercises the entire brain at once, the left, the right, the back, the front, the top, the bottom portions of the brain. And there is nothing, there is no other activity that we become involved with that exercises the brain like music. That is also fascinating.
0: It talks about music and learning, about how if you go on, and especially like the classical Baroque music, how it actually impacts learning and development.
1: Usually when parents ask me, they say, okay, what's the most important thing? Do I need to get my child involved in uh, taking music lessons? Or should I have them listen to like certain pieces of classical music? And my answer is always both in terms of what you were talking about, in terms of listening to certain pieces of classical music. And I do list list them in the book. One of them is Handel's Water Music. And the reason that I list that, when I was in my master's program, having to write a thesis, I did all of my papers, everything in my master's program on music and how it affects the brain and learning. But when a child listens to certain pieces of classical music, let's say like Handel's Water Music, It changes the electromagnetic frequency of the brain. When that changes, it usually changes to 7.5 cycles per second, which is referred to as the Schumann resonance or meditative thought in the brain. It primes the brain for learning. A child is able to memorize better. And there's three components of memorization. It's absorbing information, retaining the information, and then retrieving. So it's absorb, retain, retrieve. And as you know, Carolyn, as being an educator, you know, that's very important for learning. So when a child listens to this music while they're at their desk studying or while they're at home doing their homework, it helps with the memorization process. It helps them to retain information. When I was teaching college, my students would come in and they had been on their phones, of course, all day long, which they had basically fried their brains. So... The first 10 minutes of class, even when they walked in, I had classical music playing in the background. And then I always gave them a quiz, and mainly because I wanted to prime their brains and get it focused again so that they could learn while they were in the class. The interesting thing was, after the semester, I would have students come up to me and say, I learned more in your class than any other class. So I explained to them, it's the music. And I would give my students a list of music that they should play while they were studying at home that would really help their ability to absorb, retain, and retrieve the information. So that's one aspect of just listening and they shouldn't be listening to other pieces of music, even though there's a lot of great music out there. There's something magical about classical music and its structure. It's very, very mathematical. They should stick to classical music when they are studying. When a child learns a musical instrument, it becomes extraordinarily powerful. And it happens over time because when you look at kids that struggle in school it first starts with auditory processing. They can hear fine but they're not processing what they're hearing. Music focuses on three areas of the brain for, that are important for learning: the auditory, the visual-spatial, and the motor. So the auditory, that comes first. You know, all learning problems start as auditory processing it strengthens that music because they're learning pitches and they're learning intervals and all of these things when they start learning a musical instrument. So they need to be able to, and in school where it translates, it's crucial, auditory processing is crucial for reading, spelling, writing, and learning. So it will help a child with reading, with language, with spelling. So one thing to think about when a child first learns to read, they do not use their eyes, they're learning, they're using their ears first, that's auditory, because they have to hear the sounds of the letters, the consonants, the vowels, and so forth. So they're using their ears as auditory learning. And you can strengthen it when you have your child enrolled in music lessons. Now, in terms of the visual-spatial, that's important for visual recog- recognition, for categorization, uh, and also encoding. So. They use their eyes to see the notes on the page, to see the letters on the page, and they have to decipher what they mean. Okay, so they're constructing their visual world. So learning a musical instrument definitely helps with the visual spatial areas, and that increases uh, their ability for math as well. Math is almost totally spatial, particularly in the higher forms of math. Now the motor area of the brain, that's movement. And there's a big thrust on the importance of movement in the last 15, 20 years. They know that kids need to move in order to learn. So as a child, in terms of music, as they clap to the beat of the music or they use rhythm instruments or they march, their physical coordination, their timing, all their thinking is developing. And the thing about motor is that it helps with brain organization. So, and obviously kids who are attention deficit, there's a lack of organization. And so those three areas, the auditory, the visual, spatial, and the motor, those three areas music particularly targets and and, and targets simultaneously. And those are the areas of the brain that a child needs in order to learn. And to learn effectively and to be successful in school. And if you think about how many hours a day that they spend in school, they need to have a measure of success, and music will do that. 25% of kids now who go to school have some kind of a learning problem. So that's one in four. That's pretty big, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so, and I had a son who was born in 1982. As I mentioned earlier, it was not a good birth and they cause brain damage. And I read to my kids in utero. I played music, classical music for them in utero. I took books and music with me to the hospital and he was my third and I did the same with him. But my other kids were early talkers, early readers. And we read every day, we played music and I enrolled them in music classes and so forth. But Brandon was really struggling. By the time he was three, I couldn't understand what he was saying. And I knew that he had delayed language so he had had tubes put in his ears. So there were some physical things going on, but definitely there was some auditory processing. So I got him enrolled in um, speech and language. And when he entered kindergarten, um, within just a couple of months, they the teacher alerted me to the fact that, you know, that he was really struggling with some of the basic stuff. So we had him tested. We had him tested in the schools and privately. And it came back that he had severe, very severe learning disabilities. He, he had severe auditory processing. Uh, he had visual spatial issues. He was attention deficit. There's just a whole, he had problems actually with his eyes focusing, you know, with his eyes and so forth. So it was a painstaking process. I mean, it wasn't just a slam dunk. I uh, enrolled him in a number of different uh, classes, uh, the Linda Mood Bell, which is for auditory processing. And um I had him uh, working with an occupational therapist twice a week, and so while they were doing all of this, you know, I joined some uh, mothers' organizations of learning disabled kids. Now, none of their kids, you know, mothers will compare, and as we were comparing research of our kids and and what their results were on their tests, Brandon was the most severe. However, over time, Brandon was developing faster than their kids. So they came back to me and they said, what are you doing? And I said, the only thing that I'm doing differently than what you're doing is I have him involved in music. I had him involved in a group class and actually went there because he struggled with so many things in the class. So I was with him, but I also did a lot of different musical things with him. We did. I put every at the kindergarten, first and second grade level. They don't have much homework, but they do have spelling words. So we said, I put everything to music and I rhymed as much as I could. And I had him listen to uh, classical music when he was doing his spelling words. So it took time, but I was told and we had him tested throughout his school career from K through 12th grade. And they kept saying he'll never graduate from high school. Well, he graduated from high school and he graduated from a four-year university with a double major in film and philosophy and he graduated with straight A's. The interesting thing was his philosophy professor said, Brandon, with a brain like yours, you really belong at a Harvard or a Princeton. And that, as a mother, knowing all the painstaking hours and hours and hours that I worked with him and with the music, it was payoff. You know, I really, it made me feel very good. The thing that I was concerned about as a mother, you want your kids, especially with a boy, you wanna make sure Either they have an education or that they have um, something that, you know, that they can work at to provide for their families. And so that was one of my motivations to make certain that he could, um, if he wanted to go to a tech school or something, that would be great. We would definitely support him in that. But as he saw all of his brothers go on to four-year universities, that's where he wanted to go as well. And he was successful. So music can change a child's life. And the important thing is, as a parent, is to have that conviction that is so important that you need to get your child involved in music lessons. Does it matter if it's
0: the piano or the flute or the trumpet or the drums?
1: No, um, actually, what I usually tell parents, and I've lectured all over the United States about this, I usually tell them, Get them involved in um, group music classes like the Mommy and Me Kinder Music is one. Let's Play Music is another one. There's Orffshire work. There's um, some parents want to launch their kids like into Suzuki. Uh, there's a parent involvement with that. Um, and so whatever it is, start them out young. You know, start playing music, classical music for them at birth, and you know throughout babyhood, then get them involved in the group classes usually around six or seven, they can go into private lessons. A lot of parents like to start their child on the piano because it's a good basic instrument. And I started all my kids out on piano. However, what you do want them to have is you want them to have the association with good kids at school. And a lot of the kids that go in and they play like orchestra instruments or band instruments, those kids are usually, you know, they're pretty serious. They're pretty good kids. And so what we got our kids involved with is um, another instrument so that they could join the band or the orchestra. Usually what you can do if they're on, if they've been playing the piano, they could play a percussion instrument and how they read the music on a percussion instrument is that they're, they're reading beats. It's spelled out differently, but they pick it up very quickly and then they can be in the band. They could be in drum line. There's a number of different opportunities. And as a parent, what I would do is I would look into my elementary school. Some of them, they used to start um, orchestra instruments in the third grade. I know some start in the fourth grade. Some of them don't really start anything except singing, which is another really, really good way to get involved with music as well. But once they hit the junior high or middle school levels and the high school levels, they do, most schools usually have a music program. So you want your child primed and ready So that they can join those music programs. And I'd like to just say one thing you know, we all want to support our kids' schools and our grandkids' schools. And I don't, and I definitely want to as well. However, when they send home one more thing that they want their computer labs supported, it really makes me bristle. It's like, okay, send me home something that I can support the music program. You know, they've done so much research to show that. A child can learn everything about the computer in a summer but, and it does nothing for brain development. In fact, it does just the opposite. It causes all kinds of issues. So for heaven's sakes, they should be putting that money, School should be putting money into music programs. If they really want their test scores to improve and so on and so forth, that's where their money should be uh, put.
0: And how do parents and grandparents advocate for the arts edu- education, especially music education, not be eliminated from the curriculum?
1: Well, it's, it's a tough battle. And I certainly have been there, done that. Um, you have to go in and you have to bring in research and you have to know what you're talking about. You can use my book, you can take any research you want out of there and to use it to go in talk to the principal, you will find your best friend is the music teacher if they have a music teacher. Now in 2001, they passed the goals 2000 Educate America Act, and part of that act was that you had to have music in the schools, it was mandatory. But they didn't say, you know, the quality of the music program so you can have a music program where you have one teacher for every 1,000 students. That's ridiculous. I would go to the music teacher. I would do a donation. I would offer my help to come into the classroom. If you as a parent or a grandparent, if you can play the piano, because they usually need an accompaniment, us, uh, particularly if they're teaching kids singing. And singing is really good too. You know, if if your child doesn't want to play a musical instrument and you think they have a you know potential with their voice, then get them into voice lessons. Usually voice lessons starts later. You don't want to start too early with voice lessons. And I go into that in my book as well. But I would go in and I would talk to the music teacher and see how you can advocate for her, how you can help her or him, anything that you can do to support. Even if it's just, if it's a band or orchestra teacher, they usually have all this music that needs to be categorized and organized into folders and everything And they appreciate any help that you can give them.
0: I remember one student in particular who was twice exceptional. He was gifted as well as he had dyslexia. And it used to annoy me that when something needed to be reinforced with him or he needed testing, the teachers would always say, pull him out of music class because he can't afford to not participate in the academics. And I always told them that the music class was the most important class for him because he was such a gifted musician and he really resented being pulled out of music class. And so many times administrators, well-intentioned, will look at the arts and pull the kids out of that for any kind of testing instead of out of math or English or history.
1: And good for you that you advocated for that kid because you're absolutely right. Most educators, sad as it is, they know nothing about the power of music. But like you said earlier, they should be, it should be required in their education that they, learn, they have to take classes on how a child learns and what things that you need to have in place to help a child to learn. And music and arts are extremely important for foundational learning. And not only when a child learns an instrument, whether it's at school learning the instrument or parents are giving them private lessons at home, They're not only just developing their brain, but they're also developing responsibility, dependability, self-discipline, increasing creativity. They're innovative. They learn quicker and easier and faster. They retain information better. They memorize easier. Their critical thinking skills are more advanced. In fact, if you look at critical thinking skills, and you know, Carolyn, they're always screaming and yelling about critical thinking skills. But once again, they're not looking at the research. The research says how the brain develops, it's in stages. And most kids do not even begin to learn the higher order critical thinking skills of being able to analyze, synthesize, and evaluate knowledge until the age of 17. That's when it starts. Well, by 17, they're practically out of high school. All right? So <clears throat> what they need to do if they added the music and they have found that if music is a foundational support and how it affects the brain, it causes a child to develop the higher order thinking skills faster. So, I mean, wouldn't it be logical that they should have music and arts? And the other thing is there is so much information out there and testing and it's like, hello, have you looked at all of the, um, all of the massive amount of research? They, They find that kids who are involved in music, when I say involved in music, they're taking lessons or they're taking music classes in school, you know, they're in the band, they're in the orchestra. Okay. They have higher SAT scores. They have higher ACT scores. They also have higher attendance. And every school wants to have good attendance because the state pays them according to when the kids come to school. As a parent, what you want to do in the schools, example is everything. If you have a principal, and I've never met one yet, who has a conviction of the power of music or the arts, or they would have these programs in the school, And there are certain charter schools that are designated for the arts, and you see much higher test scores in a lot of those schools as a result. And I'm not saying that you should eliminate computer programs for music programs, but they should be on an equal basis. And if you told a parent, okay, we're going to get rid of reading, they would not like it at all, but they should have the same conviction about music because music will lay the foundation so your child can read better.
0: I would love to see education reformed and the emphasis on preschool, kindergarten, first and second grade really be on the power of play and the power of music. Yeah. And then when a child is developmentally ready, then introduce handwriting and, and formal sit-down studies and continue the music and the play. I think we, in our quest to produce brighter more educated children, we've actually gone backwards because we haven't taken in consideration all of the music, all of the research about the impact of play and the impact of music on child development as evidenced by
1: the test scores that have remained flat for years. I totally agree. We are on the absolute same page. There's more documentation and research now about the importance of play. So I know that some of the schools, particularly in the pre-K level and kindergarten, they are including more play. When I was in kindergarten, it was mostly play. I remember learning my letters and colors and shapes. The kids now, they learn all of that in pre-K or preschool. And by the time they get to kindergarten, they're teaching them reading. All of my kids were taught reading in kindergarten. So I agree with you. I think that they need to have music. And you know what? Nature is another really important thing to get your kids out in. And I know, Carolyn, you have some amazing things that you do with your grandkids out in nature, but there's music in nature. So you can take your kids. on on different excursions in nature and they can be watching for for music in nature. I think we're hurrying the academics up at the expense of there's a lot of emotional development that happens with music as well. And I've been reading some statistics on how kids nowadays, particularly the iGen generation, they've been so protected that safety is everything to them. Every word that comes out of a professor's mouth has to be safe or students, they have rooms now that they can, you know, blow bubbles and play with Play-Doh. You know, if they're upset by something, the professor or somebody on campus said, this is ridiculous. Our kids need to be a little bit tougher than that. And uh, they need to be prepared. But a lot of these kids are not prepared. But you take a child who has had music lessons their whole entire life. They are prepared for college. I think
0: I said to you one time, and I know I've said it to my friends and my family, music absolutely saved my life in school. I started taking piano lessons at a very young age. And by the time I was 12 years old, I was playing for my church on Sundays. And I played every Sunday the organ or the piano, depending upon what was available, until I was probably 40 or 50 years old. And then life circumstances changed and I I stopped playing for church. But I was in the band. I played percussion. I played the piano for our choirs. We had a jazz band. And music was so much a part of my life. And in the marching band, I played the glockenspiel. (laughs) I loved it.
1: Oh, my gosh. Oh so my
0: God. it was For so years. fun because you had to be precise with that thing because you had to hit it just right and it would just sing and ring out over all of the other sounds. So if you made a mistake, the whole world knew it because they heard it. I loved being a part of every musical organization in our school and I really appreciate music and I offered my children piano lessons and flute lessons and sadly none of my children they tried it and then they you know none of them liked it my older two became very involved with theater and so theater was important to them and I thought okay that's at least a creative outlet and then my younger son became very involved with sports. I tried to push the music, but it, it didn't quite work. But they all listen to music, so I guess that's that's okay. I have two grandsons who are taking piano lessons, and I'm trying to get the other two involved with it as well.
1: You know, Carolyn, you are a real sweet, I can just tell, you know, and having other conversations with you, you are really sweet. I, I was a kind of a tyrant <laughs> in <laughs> terms of, of piano. I explained to my kids, once we went through all the mommy and me and the group lessons and everything, I explained to them, I said, you know, we're doing this not only for your enjoyment, but we're also doing this to build your brain. I would sit at the piano bench with them for the first three years so that they, you know, they became proficient and then the music started paying off. But, you know, I do believe in bribery. I've read books on it. The psychologists say, no, it's bad, but it's like, really, I don't know. It works for some kids. And so I would... I I set up a bribery system on that. They could earn points and the points could translate into money. And then, you know, we could go shopping and so forth. One requirement is that they were required to practice six days a week for 30 minutes. And I remember my one son, I had sat with him and I needed to go in and start dinner. And so I said, look, I'll be listening to you. And so he started whining, saying, how long do I have to practice? And I think he was about seven or eight. And I said, until you're 18. So, you know, get (laughs) practicing. So I made... (laughs) So I made it, I gave them a lot of freedom. But when it came to learning a musical instrument, I was tough. And I also showed them different things as they got into high school. We went to a lot of music concerts, too. And when I could tell that they were waning in their interest, they just didn't like the practicing aspect. I did change teachers. I had all boys. So I went into and I had a a male teacher for them. And I said, look, whatever you, you know, whatever kind of fun music they want to play, I don't care what it is. I just want them to keep practicing. Now, as adults, they all really enjoy music. Sadly, though, it's only my two younger sons who have their kids involved on a regular basis. My second son, his one daughter, takes violin lessons, but I was hoping that all of my grandkids would be involved in music. And sometimes it it just doesn't happen. But like you said, that your one son was interested in drama, that's still a creative outlet. Or if they're interested in art, that's a creative outlet. There are many aspects to, quote unquote, the arts that they can become involved with that will help in so many ways
0: fortunately all of my grandkids like to draw and like painting and craft projects so that that's good i'm very happy about that as you were talking i was sitting here thinking oh i wish i had had the resolve that you did and enforced my kids to to play and to practice i think a lot of it is my age, I was young and I didn't know any better to make them do that. And the other thing was looking at my own self, my parents never had to force me to practice. It was just something that I wanted to do. I loved doing it. And I remember my parents just being so thrilled that I would sit down to the piano and just play. And I remember if I was angry or upset, I could play as loudly as I want it. I could bang the music as fast as I want it. And I could get out my emotions through the music. And when I talk about music saving my life, that's really what I meant, is because it became a vehicle for me to be expressive without having to say it or to act out inappropriately. I could get out my anger and my frustration and my sadness through music.
1: And that is really powerful. Music obviously spoke to you on a very emotional level, which was the thing that drew you to it over and over again. And I think the other thing that was a big catalyst for you sticking with it is that you became the church organist and pianist. You know, so you had a reason to practice every day and to prepare and so on and so forth. And that gave you a lot of kudos in return, because I'm sure that you knew that what you were doing there, you were giving a a really important thing to the church organization. And that in itself is motivation to continue on with music. But I think it spoke to you in a different way than a lot of kids, Uh, my kids. It wasn't until they were teenagers where I could see that the music was really speaking to them on an emotional level that you experienced that at a very young level and good for your parents that they supported you every step of the way. in that, that is so important.
0: I remember my mother, bless her. I mean, I, I really am so grateful that she did this, but she would drive us into town. We lived outside of town. So it was a good 20, a good 20 to 30 minute drive into town. and I, would, I don't remember who took lessons first, my sister or, or if I did, but our lessons were back to back and Mrs. Lewis was our piano teacher. And so one of us would go in and for 30 minutes we'd have a lesson and then one of us would come out and the other one would go in and my mother literally would sit in the car for the hour and wait for us to you know have our, our lesson and did that for years. She never objected to that. And I'm always very grateful for my mother for giving us the piano lessons and to see the importance of that. And I'll tell you a funny story about playing the piano. When I was in, my sister and I went to Catholic schools. And when I was in seventh grade, the main organist at our church moved. That's why I was asked to, if I would step up. Well, During the week, if there were any funerals or there were special masses that the school attended, I was the person who was playing the organ. And what was really cool about that was I got to get out of class. (laughs) I could walk over (laughs) to the church. And go up into the loft because that's where the organ sat. And I could practice because I had a piano at home, but I had never taken organ lessons. So I needed to practice. So I always got out of class and I just thought that was the coolest
1: thing. I love it. Well, I love the fact that you played for funerals. That is an amazing opportunity. You know, usually playing for funerals was not necessarily scary for me, but one time, Uh, This girl was singing at a a funeral and she asked me if I would play for her. So I got to the place and they, there was no way for the organ was in the back and there was this partition. So you couldn't see, I mean, it was a solid partition and uh, the music was piped in through some kind of a speaker. So I couldn't see her. And, you know, as you know, when you're accompanying people, you've got to be able to see them. (laughs) I said to her, look, I'll do the introduction and you better come in. I have no way of seeing you, nothing. That was a scary experience, but I have no idea that we pulled it off. But isn't it funny? I mean, you even remember the name of your piano teacher. I do as well. My different piano teachers, it's just something that sticks in your brain because I think they made a big impact on you.
0: Oh, she did. She was was just a marvelous lady. And (laughs) she was classically trained at Juilliard. She was such a stickler for fingers curved, wrist up, back straight, feet on the floor, and there was no slouching, or she would just kind of tap your hands and make you sit up, and so I, my one grandson has been taking piano lessons now for several years, and when he had, not last year because of COVID, but the last time I saw him at a piano recital at school, I noticed, and then I would notice at home as well, his wrists were down, and he kind of just put one hand on his knee and would kind of slouch over. And I'd say, you need to sit up, you need to put your wrist up. And he would just look at me like, what are you talking about? It was a disappointment for me that the piano teachers were not teaching him the correct form. And this year at his piano recital, I was unable to go, but I saw the video of it. And I noticed that his r- fingers were curved, his back was real straight, and his wrists were up. So I asked my daughter-in-law, I said, did the school hire a new piano teacher? And she said, yes. How did you know? And I said, because I could tell by Gavin's wrist how he was sitting at the piano. And, it, and she was just amazed that something so What she considered insignificant was such an important point for me, and that it was so noticeable to me. And I am so grateful that there's a new piano teacher, not to disparage the other one, but this one is quite aware of the importance of posture and correct hand movement. I was tickled about that.
1: That is really important. You had a teacher that was very concerned that you played musically instead of just playing notes on a page. Okay, there are piano teachers and piano teachers, just like everything else. But the one, the teachers that you had clearly taught you important etiquette on how to play the piano correctly. Now, I've gone to a number of one of my grandson's uh, piano lessons, and his teacher is like yours, a real stickler for every single thing on that piano page. First of all, how he's sitting, how his wrists are, how his feet are, everything, posture, everything. But then she's a stickler on every single thing on the page that he is aware of. He's eight years old and now he can look at a piece of music and he can point out all the different things on it that he has to be very much aware of. And I suggest the parents that so they actually interview, if they're looking around for a piano teacher, that they actually interview the, pa- the piano teacher and interview several, and get an idea of, you know, you'll get a feel, and, and attend some of their recitals. One thing I remember, when it, uh, one of the piano teachers that we had for our kids moved away, so I interviewed one, and, you know, she knew that I had four boys, and she, she made the comment, she said, I can't stand boys, I can't stand teaching, and I thought, well, this is definitely not the right piano teacher, but I thought it, it was just kind of odd, knowing that I had boys, that she would say that, I think attending a recital that they have, that will give you an idea of the quality, the musicianship of the, the people that the students that she or he is teaching. I would also ask if they involve the children in musical competitions. That is something I like music competitions and the fact that it, it get, or recitals, that it gives the child something to look forward and prepare for. So that they're not just you know dragging out a piece of music that they're preparing for something specific the biggest thing is to trust your intuition one thing that the piano teacher now that my eight-year-old grandson is at a certain point she's asked him who do you really like and he loves the piano guys and so she says we'll choose one of the pieces of the piano guys and we'll get the music and you can learn that so all of these things keep a child involved now, when I was in school, they had competitions that even the kids who played piano could enter into. So and I don't know if they do that anymore. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. And the other thing is I think once you choose the piano teacher you or a music teacher you need to show them a lot of consideration that uh, listen to their rules. And if you're canceling a lesson, what, what is the rule for that? You know, as you would any person, this is their business and they're trying to stay in business. And so I think you need to afford them the respect that they deserve as well.
0: When my sister and I started taking piano lessons, my dad bought a small little keyboard. It might have had two octaves on it. and I don't really remember, but um, it was it was very small. And then it was time we had progressed where we needed a real piano. And Mrs. Lewis actually went with my parents and my sister and I downtown to Washington, D.C. We were living outside of D.C. in Maryland. And she went with us. You know, you talk about what you remember as a child. It was Jordan Music Company. And we went downtown and... She sat down and played, I don't know how many different pianos. Finally, she sat down at one and she played it and she says, buy this one. And it was a story Clark, a upright, not a, no, it's not an upright, a console, maybe not the, not the smaller one and not the great big tall one, but the one in the middle. And she said, this is the piano you need. So my dad bought it and I still have that piano today in my house.
1: Oh my goodness. Those memories are so special. And this is Lewis sounds like an amazing person. I remember when my parents were buying a piano that my piano teacher went with them to help them. And they're looking for a, a lot of different things, particularly the action of the piano. You know, how easy it, is it to play or is there some action? So it develops actually the hand. So, um, I I don't remember everything that he was telling my parents as he was playing the different pianos, but I remember a couple of things. And I I do remember that he talked about the action of the piano is is very important. And to me, those are piano teachers that are going the extra mile for their students. They love music and they know how it can benefit a child. And so they just put that that extra effort into making it an amazing experience for the students that they teach. And, and their we, families, because clearly your family was it was influenced by her as
0: well. Absolutely. And we did have competitions and recitals every year. And I remember having to practice and memorizing. It was no no music on the stage when we went up. You had to have memorized everything. And I remember being so, so nervous. But I also remembered how absolutely thrilled and relieved I was when I finished and she taught us the etiquette of after you get up how you you know bow to the audience and yeah. acknowledge the audience it was intense but it was something that I think as you said earlier it really has prepared me for public speaking and professionalism that I've experienced throughout my career and I'm very grateful to her and to my parents for providing that for me.
1: You know, and and you were very fortunate to have someone like that. When you talk about, she even taught you the etiquette of standing up and bowing. All of my kids, their piano teachers taught them that. Mine did not, but their, their piano teachers definitely taught them music etiquette. And it is a part of music etiquette. One thing that parents can do too is that there's all kinds of different musical programs that are involved in just about every community. And you can teach your child and take them to those and prepare them with music etiquette as well, that they sit and they listen quietly, they clap when they're supposed to and so forth. But it just gives them another opportunity to see music in action, how later on, how people use their musical talents to have these concerts. When I was growing up, we had four free concerts a year that it was held in this large building and it was completely filled. You know, children would come. And I can remember um, one particular concert. There was an 11-year-old girl, and I was 11 at the time. And she uh, it was a concerto concert, and she played with the, the symphony orchestra of the state. And I remember being so influenced by that. So you never know what your kids will be influenced by that they will carry on later as an adult and then hopefully pass it down to the next generation. I remember the orchestra coming
0: to our school and maybe not the full orchestra, but at least parts of it. And they would quiz us, like you know, the oboe would play, or the bassoon would play, or the timpani. We would hear the sound, and then they would tell us to close our eyes, and then a a musician would play, and then we needed to guess what instrument that was. And you know, I just found that just absolutely fascinating. I, I guess some of my classmates didn't, but I just loved. And again, it's that auditory processing of what instrument yes. are you hearing? What are you listening
1: to? You know, and though you are developing oral, aural, A-U-R-A-L, aural skills, which definitely translate into building the auditory cortex. And that's what you want for reading, writing, uh, speech and language, all of those things. It's really important. And I want to interject one thing here too. In 1985, a lot of people are aware of Howard Gardner. He came out he didn't develop the theory of multiple intelligences. That's been around for thousands of years, but he took all the multiple intelligences and he categorized them at that particular time into seven areas. And one of the intelligences was music. Now, his first book came out in 1984. It's Frames of Mind is about three inches thick. He didn't say it in his first book, but in subsequent books, he said, That music intelligence is so powerful that if a child learns a musical instrument, that it will affect all of the other intelligences. It's that powerful. So if you just think about developing, having your child involved in music lessons and and then expanding it by taking them to musical opportunities in the community, you are building and giving them not only a foundation for music, but developing all these other intelligences at the same time, particularly math. Math is spatial and definitely music develops uh, the spatial areas. And I've talked to some people with, uh, that have taken music for a long time. They say, I'm really not that great in math. But when you talk to them, they're really good at fractions. They're really good at percentages. And they understand like geometry uh, better than most kids because of the spatial development that is happening in their brain.
0: Yes, I want to go back to you were talking about children with learning disabilities. I taught kids with severe disabilities for about seven years, and there was one child in particular who loved music. And years ago, there was a television program on called Name That Tune and people would say, I can name that tune in two notes, or I can name that tune in three notes, and there was this little competition. This, this student of mine, whose IQ was incredibly low, she loved country music, and she could hear the first couple of notes of any country music, and she would know who sang it. She would know the artist, and she could actually sing some of the notes. And music was so important to her that I actually, the the school had given me a smart board where, you know, kids could come up and touch the board and, you know, make things happen. So I wrote a program for her and I had pictures of different, of her favorite artists so that she could go up to the board and click on the picture of an artist and be able to choose the song that she wanted to listen to. And so for her literacy, I took pictures of the artist and I wrote their names at the bottom and I printed them out and I, I put them in a binder and she would sit there and go through her binder and read these pictures. She would read the names, you know, because she memorized the faces and then she would proceed to tell me the songs that she sang. And I was so proud of her for having that interest in music and it being such an important part of her life. And I'm Facebook friends with her mom and music continues to be a part of her life. And she's probably 30 years old now. So it really goes to address how central music is to
1: humans in general as a teacher you are a very very special teacher to go out of your way and to do that for a student that and and you're still friends with the family on facebook they adore you that girl will never and her mother they will never ever forget what you did and you know what these iq tests thank heavens they don't give them on a regular basis anymore they only they only measure one kind of intelligence that is it over the years, they've come to understand that. And everybody, and this is why Howard Gardner's work was with multiple intelligence was so uh, groundbreaking because he said, IQ tests only test one thing. You know, we need to test the whole entire child. And clearly that girl had a, a sophistication for music intelligence. She probably had perfect pitch. And on the name that tune, those are people who really have incredible auditory processing skills. You know, they understand intervals so they can quickly pick up that. So you were a amazing gift for that, that little girl. Oh, thank you.
0: As I was reading your book, it made me wonder about music and dementia. My mother has just been diagnosed with dementia. I had remembered from when I was teaching, I too would play classical music for my students as a way of calming them down and getting them to focus. And I truly believed it really impacted their learning. But I was wondering if music had any impact or if there'd been any research about music and dementia. So I asked my mom, I said, would you be willing to do an experiment for me? If I bought you a CD player and sent you CDs, would you agree to listen to this music from the time you get up to the time you go to bed? and do it for at least a month and see if it has any impact on you. She agreed. She was all excited about it. So I sent her the CD. I sent her the CD player and the center CDs, and she has been listening to this music. Now, simultaneously, my sister has been able to get her to a doctor who's got her on some different kind of medication or has started her on medication. And my mom's mood and her happiness have increased exponentially in just a couple of weeks. And she is so grateful to be able to have the music that she can listen to. I am, I'm grateful that you agreed to be a guest because I don't know that I would have thought about that had I not been preparing for this interview with you. So thank you.
1: Oh, that is wonderful. And actually there are a number of different ways that music can help an Alzheimer's patient. Music activates the brain in unique ways. So think about when you were little and you learned the ABC song. So you totally remember that ABC song, no matter what age you are. I remember my dad had some dementia. It wasn't severe, but he loved music and he could remember all kinds of songs, even at the age of 95, 96, and they would immediately come Um, and if they set things to music, if a, if a patient is having problems with a name and if they play music, particularly music that they are familiar with, it can activate those areas of the brain and they can uh, remember the family member's name. It actually can help with memory because music, as I mentioned earlier, particularly classical music, it enhances the memory the memory of anybody, but they can certainly enhance the memory of a a person uh, with Alzheimer's. And they've done studies showing that there are some places that, you know, uh, that have Alzheimer's and dementia patients and that they bring in group uh, music therapy and it actually helps their memorization function. But they have done studies to show that when Patients with dementia or Alzheimer's listen to classical music that it actually stimulates the memory centers of their brain. So they should be listening to classical music. It can also, a lot of um, Alzheimer's patients, they have uh, behavioral problems. Sometimes they have depression or apathy, agitation, frustration. You know, a lot of them have this. And they have found that if they give them like headphones, or and and put on soothing types of music and obviously a music therapist I don't write too much about music therapy in my book but a music therapist knows usually when they come in they know all of the types of music that would be soothing for them and we think classical music is and it is for a lot of them but sometimes it's the big band era that really helps to bring them out of their, kind of the stupor that they're in or whatever. Part of what music therapy is, is when they go into these places, is that they want to learn about the ages and what era of music that they came from and what types of music we're playing. Because if they play that music, oftentimes they find that they really come to life and it it brings them back. If only for a short time, it's still bringing them back. And another thing is, I'm sure you still continue to play the piano and the organ And you were talking about your kids not being interested. Well, John Holt, and I mentioned him in my book, he started at the age of 50. He took up a musical instrument. And eventually five years later, he joined um, a small chamber orchestra. So it, you know, you can enjoy music throughout your life. If you have someone that is experiencing memory loss, you know, make certain that they're playing um, music for themselves every you know, each day to help them.
0: And that's what I found out. I I did not realize that my mom wasn't listening to the television. She wasn't listening to uh, the radio. She she was just in her house by herself all day and it was quiet. And I like, mom, that's not healthy. You need some sort of stimulation. And that's why, you know, I was asking her about if, you know, because she didn't have a CD player. It's like, I will send it to you. She's listening. And so that's really good. I, I have forgot to ask you, Tell us about starting an orchestra. I find that quite amazing. Oh,
1: either that or insanity. Um, <laughs> so, You guys, know, I, I spent all this time looking at the theoretical aspects of music, you know, how it affects the brain and everything. And I had a lot of experience with my own sons and myself. So what I decided to do is to have a practical uh, approach to it. I thought, you know, starting an orchestra in the community. So I actually went to our church and I asked them if they would support it uh, financially until I, I got the thing up and running and also if we could practice there. And then I started it and I wanted it to be different because there were other orchestras in the area. There were uh, youth orchestras and then there were you know regular orchestras were mostly adults. I wanted this to be a combination of, of parents coming and joining to play music with their children. So it would be like a family uh, situation. And I, and I wasn't worried so much about the, the level. They had to be at a certain level, um, but I wanted them, particularly the parents, that if their children were taking music lessons, I was trying to encourage them to go back and to dust off their instruments and to play, um, uh, to learn, relearn their instrument. And so that's how it started. And I was with it for five years um, and it was a boatload of work. Um, I went out into the community, got people from all over the area. Some people drove an hour and a half, two hours to come to the practices because they liked the concept that they could join with their kids. And that really was a big draw. We performed four concerts a year and we eventually performed at Disney Hall and So we, you know, we were getting better. And eventually one of the the women in the orchestra that joined, she was a harpist and her husband was an attorney. So I asked her if he would create a 501c3 for us because none of us were getting paid. And he did that. He created a 501c3. So we were able to raise money that people could use as a tax write-off. And I remember... um, One of the things that was challenging is percussion instruments, usually a percussionist, they don't own, you know, the big kettle drums and so forth. But I had developed a relationship with the music teachers as well. And so I worked it out that we would come and we would borrow their percussion instruments and then get them back. And then we would we didn't at that particular time when we were first starting, you know, it was hard for me to give donations on a regular basis to them. But eventually we did. And then at one concert, there was a German woman there who came up to me and handed me a check for $25,000. Oh, wow. And I just, I was, yeah, I was blown away. So, I went out and I bought all of our percussion instruments, but I was real careful with the money. We bought pretty, most of the, the instruments were used. Some of them were new, but I had checked them out thoroughly to make certain that there were no problems with them. The thing too, is I wanted to make it very diverse. I didn't want just one nationality represented. We ended up at one point having 14 different nationalities, and which made it a real, Uh, richly diverse orchestra as well. It also was a testimony to me of the fact that music is everywhere. It's everywhere throughout the world and uh, people in every uh, country and climb in every place, uh, they love music. It was interesting to see all these different people coming together under one roof, united in a universal language, which is music. I was putting in between 12 and 14 hours a day on this, and I actually got really sick. I did pass the baton, but as far as I know, um, this was in Southern California. I imagine it's still going on, but COVID really put a, you know, a, kind of a monkey wrench into things. But when I left, um, we were almost a full-size symphony orchestra. Full-size symphony orchestra is 90 uh, musicians, and we were 85 strong. And we were playing some challenging music and it was good. And we were drawing people from all over the community from, you know, miles away to come and listen to our concerts. It was very gratifying to see all of my research now having a, a real practical venue to, to show the importance of music.
0: That's amazing, Charlene. Kudos to you. I love music. As I think you can tell, I love watching little babies who as soon as they hear music they start to dance and they they start to sing it's just so joyful to watch them and as we've talked the whole spectrum of intelligences and ages and medical conditions music is so vital to our health and our learning and i really appreciate all that you've done to inspire people to incorporate music into their lives and the lives of their family members before we say goodbye is there anything that you want to tell us to kind of sum up your f- philosophy about music?
1: Parents don't know where to start. You can go on my my blog post. It's good parenting, brighter children, and there is a category for music, and I have thirty six posts on music, and it will take you through everything. Of course, my book is available on Amazon. Uh, you can read that. Start when they're young, and it's it's like everything when you when you start with young just listening to music and then go to the group music classes and then the individual ones and take them to different music things in the community and have it a part of your life and a part of your home even if all your children aren't don't gravitate to it they might gravitate like you were talking about your son that's interested in drama they're still involved and emerged in the arts which will make their lives better when we go and we look at museums um, the things that we are really interested in is what arts did they leave behind for us to enjoy and that gives us some idea of what they were like as people. Those are the things that the history books are filled with to help us to understand, you know, the, the pottery and the musical instruments and all of the different things. Those are what make us human and music is definitely one of those things that make us human. Even at our
0: science museum, there is an entire section on music and my two of my grandsons are going to be up with me in a couple of weeks and we're heading back to the science museum so they can listen and be immersed in this, well, everything in the science museum, but it also the music is where they gravitate it. I just, uh, one plug for your book. On Amazon, I wrote a review for your book and I said that good music, brighter children, simple and practical ideas to help transform your child's life through the power of music should be required reading for every single congressional representative, every single state and local legislator, the school boards, teachers, administrators, parents, everybody should read this book. It is amazing. And you have all of your research, you have lists of music, you have references of where to find musical programs. And when I started piano, and when my children were young and starting music, there were no internet programs. And now you can even find music lessons on the internet. So living in a rural area doesn't preclude your children from having instruction.
1: Yes, I agree. And thank you for that review. That's very, very
0: kind. I appreciate that. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.